0: Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome back to C is for Communion, Part 2. When we ended rather abruptly, Part 1, we were talking about the Roman Catholic doctrine, dogma, regarding the sacrament of Eucharist. Now you understand all of that, assuming, of course, that you listen listen to Part 1. It is a sacrament. It bestows grace. It is called Eucharist because Um, They draw the name from the uh, gospel records of the event of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and so they call it Eucharist, and they believe it is a sacrament that it bestows a grace that could not otherwise be received by the recipient who must prepare himself. They don't go to confession anymore. They don't have to. They can. It is available for them. They are not required to go to confession to receive the sacrament of Eucharist. Um, I explained that the priest holds the bread up and says a blessing. He says that facing uh, the front with his back to the people. He does the same with the cup, holds the chalice up and says the particular blessing over the wine and then turns around to the people. That is the moment at which it is transferred transubstantiation from being bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. That gives rise to the term sacrodotalism. It is a sacrament. It uh, bestows grace. Sacrodotalism means it can only be done by someone authorized by the church to do it. It has to be a priest or a bishop, somebody ordained by the local Catholic church. An ordinary layman cannot say that same blessing and have it take effect. It only works if. That's called sacrodotalism that the change from A to B must be done by an ordained clergyman, clergy person, clergyman. All right, now we're going to move to the Lutheran church. Remember that Lutheran believed in what we now call consubstantiation, that it remains bread and wine, but it also carries within it uh, the body and blood of Christ. They are not, this is weird, they are not sacrodotalists. There is no blessing that is the moment of consubstantiation, if you will. Uh, But it does bestow grace. So, the Lutheran dogma is sacrament. It bestows grace. It is not sacrodotal. That that change does not happen at the moment of the blessing by the officially ordained and authorized uh, priest. Now we move along to Zwingli. Who says it is not a means of grace? So it is not a sacrament. It is an ordinance. It is something that God has commanded that we do, ordered that we do. And as a result of it not being a sacrament, um, there is no moment of blessing. It continues to be only bread and wine. It does not change substance at all. And there is no moment of blessing. Therefore, there is no sacerdotalism. There is not the restriction that it can only be done by clergy. In theory, according to Zwingli, anybody could serve communion, could serve the Lord's Supper to the people. Again, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, so, so there's what it is and who does it. And that depends upon the church and their official dogma. Now, who should participate and Across the spectrum, everybody believes, because it's so clear in Scripture, that only believers should receive the Lord's Supper. Sacrament or not, only believers should receive it. Now, Paul adds in in 1 Corinthians 11 that only those who are, quote, examined themselves and are worthy. So it's not just enough. That you be a Christian, but you need to have gone through a um, a process of self-examination and realized that you are not without unrepentant sin. Uh, boy, this this we're going to have to make this uh, an alphabet topic as well. There is um, David prayed, uh, Lord, keep me from willful sins. These are things that I know are sin. I know they're sin when I do them, and I do them anyhow. They are blatant. They are fly in the face of God's righteousness and his grace. I do them anyhow. We all sin. We all at, at, we get angry. We get upset with ourselves or with someone else or something else. We say something we should not say and recognize immediately that that is sin. and and whether or not we go through the fairly um, specific process of repentance doesn't matter. We grieve over that and realize we should not have done it. There are other sins which are what David calls willful sins, and we do them knowing their sins. And Paul says that before we participate in communion, in the Lord's Supper, that we should examine ourselves, and recognize that we are worthy. What that says, in effect, in a practical sense, is that before I take the bread and the juice, I should spend some time reflecting on my life and ask myself, now wait a minute, Buster, are you aware of sins that exist that that frankly you are cold and oblivious to, that you are not recognizing as sin? If that's the case, you should not participate in this Observance in this ordinance. Um, Again, doesn't that suggest some things about the way we do it in the local church? Uh, We'll get to that in in just a moment. So there are two criteria. Who should participate? They should be believers, and they should be people, they should be believers who have examined themselves, and if there is known sin in their lives, have taken it before the Lord, confessed it, uh, presented it to Christ, and received forgiveness for that. Understanding we are who we are and we will sin again, but we've, we've encountered that and dealt with that before the Lord. Okay, let's move on to some matters of practicum, how we do all of this. And, and there are several, and these are the kinds of things that we've noticed as we've visited very, various churches. Um, we have very little uh, instruction in Scripture on these matters. We can only take what we're told in Scripture and extrapolate from that some guidelines, but there's no, I don't think there's room for dogma on any of these things. Let's just work through. I think you'll see what I mean. Maybe the first question, and the one that, that is most obvious, is how frequently should a local congregation, should a church, do communion? Do, that that's a, a bad way to put it, but you understand what I mean how often should they observe communion, the Lord's Supper, in, uh, in their regular uh, schedule of church services? Some of the churches, uh, in fact, here is it coincidentally, uh, and I think it is coincidentally, the majority of the churches we've visited seem to do it every week at the end of every service. We visited one church that frankly, unimportant, but we thought was was the one that, that turned out not to be. After a conversation with the pastor, we realized this is not going to work. Anyhow, they do it. Uh, I was asking Pam because it's been long enough, I can't remember. We think it, it's monthly. We think it's the last Sunday of every month. The church I grew up in did it the last Sunday of every month. So some do it every Sunday at the end of every worship service. If they have multiple worship services on a Sunday morning, they have, they have communion multiple times. So everybody that comes to that worship service has the opportunity to participate in communion every Sunday. Other churches do it once a month. Some churches do it quarterly. There are, um, I suppose, advantages and disadvantages for each of those options. Uh, if I can be forgiven, uh, Millard Erickson, in his book Christian Theology, which I've mentioned before and I really like, I find him readable. Some people don't. I find him readable and and he spurs my thinking. In his uh, long section on the Lord's Supper, on communion, he cites Freud of all things. And he says, Freud said there are three levels of of, uh, data retrieval systems in the brain. The first is the conscious. That's the thing that you're aware of all the time. So for example, I'm aware all the time of what I'm wearing because it's right in front of me. As it turns out, it's Saturday morning and I'm still in my sweats, okay? That's conscious. I'm aware it is in my conscious uh, mind that I am married. It is in my conscious mind that I am old and have arthritis. Those things are present in my thinking uh, and readily there. There are things in what he calls my preconscious. I think that's a word he made up. Those are things that are in my mind, but they need some kind of a trigger to be brought back. I talked about our wedding album. And when we get back and, and, and look at those pictures, oh, look at Roger's wearing his dress whites. He was um, just graduating from the Naval Academy. Roger's wearing his dress whites. And so now, I, I, that's not in my conscious. That's not like I'm wearing sweats, but with a, with a sufficient trigger, it is brought back to my mind. Then there is, Freud said, things that are in the subconscious. And no trigger, no effort on my part is going to remember them. It will take uh, some kind of therapy, whether that's hypnotism or psychotherapy from a professional, to call those things back up, to retrieve those memories. Now, the reason Erickson brings up the conscious, the uh, preconscious, and the unconscious is because in uh, communion... Uh, remembers the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Where is it? And Erickson suggests it is in the preconscious. That is to say, we go through our daily life, we typically don't think uh, on any particular day, we don't think about what Christ did for us on the cross. The purpose of the Lord's Supper, the purpose of communion, is to bring it from the preconscious into the conscious. That it reminds me, oh yeah, Christ died for my sins. Everything I am and will be is dependent upon the grace of God that he expressed at the cross. That is that is the purpose of communion, to bring it from the pre-conscious. It, it, the trigger is this observance, this ordinance of the bread and the juice, and brings it into my conscious. That's the purpose. Now, that affects how often we observe it because if i observe if i participate in communion on a given sunday morning and it moves into my conscious it is human nature that it will move back into my pre-conscious and will need to be brought back into my conscious thinking how often does that need to be done the flip side is if we do this if we do communion too often it becomes routine and, and it is, in effect, unconscious. That is to say, I'm not thinking about it. I, I just do it. Um, one of the churches that we attended in Eugene did it every Sunday. At the end of the service, uh, after the sermon, uh, Rick would, would finish his sermon and, and go sit down, and the music team would come up, and they would lead us in three songs. It was always three. It was never two, and it was never four, and it was always three. And during those three songs, everybody got up and got the bread and the juice and went back to their seats and and then um, ate the, the bread and drank the juice. Um, Pam and I did not routinely do that, and I, and I think because the criteria are that you have to be a believer and that you have to have dealt with sin in your life, they either thought we were pagans or living like it. I don't know, but... I did not want this to be so routine that it was that it was thoughtless that I went through this mechanically. It is done, and this is terrible, but I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. it is done by people who look for all the world as I watch them go through this, that they are doing it uh, with solemnity, with, with thought and attentiveness and, I just know myself. I know that I cannot do something every Sunday at the end of every worship service done in exactly the same way and give it the meaning that this observance, this ordinance clearly should have. Oh, goodness, there's so much that this makes me think about that we should be saying here. So where do I come down? I guess I think for Craig McDonald, and I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but for Craig McDonald, once a month strikes a good balance. It moves it from my preconscious into my conscious. But a month later, I'm going to need this again. So I'm going to say for me, for me only, once a month is good. Once every three months. See, that's how we did it when I was a pastor. And And looking back, I think that wasn't adequate. Okay, here's what I love about it. This is an example of why I so like Erickson. At the end of his ten twelve page discussion of communion, and we're just scratching the surface here, folks, he suggests what if, instead of sticking communion, whether it's whether it's once a week or once a month or once a quarter, instead of sticking it on a service that is about something else. We're preaching through Galatians, but it is the Sunday, the end of the service where we do communion, so let's do communion. He says, what if we make this a special service, that this is only about the Lord's Supper, that we set aside a time, whether it's a Saturday evening or a Wednesday evening or whatever, and we say, if you want to do this, you come and this will be our service. And it's maybe 30 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, and there are appropriate songs, songs sung that draw my mind to the cross. There are passages of Scripture read that take my mind to the cross, that take my conscious thinking to Calvary. And then we observe uh, communion, and we take the bread, and we take uh, the juice together. I think that's a great suggestion. I don't know if practically speaking in the 21st century we can pull that off, but doesn't that elevate this ordinance to a place it should have? Uh, I, I just think that was a great suggestion. And I would sure want to, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. Maybe there are some uh, months in which we put it at the end of a service, but if we do, I think it, it can't just be something that's done while we're singing a, a Christian chorus. I, th- I think there has to be more intentionality about this. Uh, and so maybe some some communion services, uh, communion observances are done uh, in the normal course of the church calendar. But maybe once or twice or three times a year, we have a special service where this is all that it is. And we have music and spoken word and scripture read that is just, I think that's a wonderful suggestion. Thank you, Millard Erickson. Okay, what elements? Does it have to be unleavened bread, or can it be any bread? Does it have to be wine, or can it be grape juice? This is a very practical uh, matter in a culture where we have so many people who struggle with alcoholism, and the smallest swallow of wine may serve as a trigger for them, and we have unwittingly become become a stumbling block to this individual that's why most churches have long since passed on serving wine and and now use grape juice the roman catholic church because it believes in transubstantiation must still use wine because that's what was used and it it violates the protocols Uh, most churches use grape juice now because of the issue of the alcoholic most churches now do not use matzah It can be a little tricky to get. Some churches make it. In fact, I know about one church here in Eugene. It's one that we visited where the Saturday, the day before they have the Lord's Supper, they have a special team that gets together at a kitchen someplace and makes unleavened bread, specially prepared for this service. And that is these people's way of preparing themselves uh, for what they will do the next morning. Uh, does it have to be, or can it be leavened bread? Can you go to the store and buy a baguette or a, a loaf of bread or whatever and break that up into pieces? Does it matter? If it is a sacrament, it certainly matters. If it, if it is an ordinance, it probably does not matter uh, because it is serving as a reminder. It is a trigger to bring it from the preconscious to the conscious. That said, what about the what about the what about the youth group leader, um, and and this is a, this is a characterization a stereotype of of youth pastors. But who decides that they are going to use uh, goldfish crackers and diet coke is that communion, and every every bone in my body says no, that it that it somehow trivializes, that it profanes, that it takes the sacred into the mundane. I don't have to be a transubstantiation guy to say, wait a minute, we've gone too far to the other extreme, and we have turned the extraordinary into the low end of the ordinary. Where do I come down? I guess I think it needs to be bread. Whether or not it is leavened, I think there's some value to using unleavened bread, because as a pastor who is, who is leading the congregation, I can point out that he was without sin. However... If it's leavened bread, if it is some loaf that I bought at the grocery store the day before, I don't think that matters so long as it serves its purpose. And frankly, as the one who is leading the service, it's my responsibility to lead them, um, to, to make sure that this memorial, that these elements help them move from the pre-conscious into the conscious. And that does not depend upon it being unleavened bread. Although if it is, as I said, I can draw attention to the sinlessness of Christ. Uh, again, who participates? Uh, Scripture is clear. It should be only be believers. I think it is extremely rare, almost unheard of, that in an evangelical church, the point is made that you need to be not only a believer, but you need to have dealt with Unrecognized and unrepentant sin in your life. I can't. I can't think that I've ever heard that, and I don't think I ever said that as a pastor. And that was a failing on my part. And if I could go back and do it again, that's one of the things I would change. And that also uh, argues against doing it every Sunday, because I can't do that kind of self-examination in a 30-second period of time as we're moving through the instructions and uh, involvement. That's the kind of thing that needs to be published in an email to the congregation uh, the day or two days before one of the churches we attended in Eugene did that. On a communion Sunday, they did it once a quarter, as I recall. The pastor would send out an email earlier in the week saying, this Sunday we're going to, I'm sure he still does it, this Sunday we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. You should come prepared, spiritually prepared to do that. That's uh, that's just really okay. Um, who should, who, uh, what children should, how old do you have to be? I think we answer the question when we say it is something meant to draw us back to the cross and bring that forward in our minds because we are believers, because we have uh, no unrepentant sin in our lives. And so there is an age in which, at, below which a child is, is mentally incapable of doing that. I think that informs. How old is that child? Are they believers? Do they have a credible testimony to their parents, to their Sunday school teacher, or whatever? See, those, I think, are made by a case-by-case basis, and I think the parent is the one who is um, prepared to make that decision. And parents then need to be taught. Boy, I watched, I have watched at many churches parents give this to two and three-year-olds. Why? Because they want to do whatever mom and dad are doing. Mom and dad, you're teaching teaching them something about the weight and significance of this when you do it. Um, Lots of other stuff here. Uh, Sacerdotalism? No, there is no requirement that clergy do it. However, because it is such a significant event in in the life of a church, uh, in, in the health of a church, I think it should be done by church leaders. Does that mean that the serving of the elements can only... No, I don't think so. But I think the pastor, uh, the elders, whoever, I think they ought to be the ones do it, doing it because they are the shepherd who lead the sheep. So no sacerdotalism, but there's something to be said for ch- church leaders uh, doing this. Okay, we're coming down to the end of our time here. And even as I've been uh, talking over parts one and two, I've thought about more... Th- parts of this that would deserve a discussion that we should be thinking about. Unfortunately, there just isn't time. I'll give you an example. The church I grew up in, the elders who served the people, the pastor would lead that part of the service, then the elders would serve the people. How? We had trays. We had trays of bread and trays of juice. I don't know if it's, it's post-COVID or not, but nobody does that anymore. I can tell you having purchased them that those trays are outrageously expensive. Now you go up and get it and then you go back and sit in your seat and you take the bread and you take the juice when you want to. I don't like that at all. At all, at all. I don't like that. Stop. Don't do that again. It's not communion. We're not doing it together. I'm doing it as an individual. The church I grew up in, we were all served the bread and we hung on to it and it was matza. We hung on to it and then pastor... Peterson would say, let's eat together. And we did it all at the same time. That expresses our unity. That's why it's called communion. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a big deal out of that. And it, because the Corinthian church was screwing it up, some of them were eating ahead of time and, and others were going hungry. It was not communion. It did not express the unity of the body. And then the bre- the juice was passed. The the trays with the cups of juice. And we all took the cup and we held it until everybody had received their cup. And then Pastor Peterson would say, let's drink together. And we all drank. And that was an expression of our unity as a church. I don't like this, this new trend where we all go up to a table, get it, and then either eat it as we walk back to our seats or go to our seats and then eat it. Don't like that at all. We're missing communion. Oh, there, I know there's so much more and I'm out of time. Uh, if this has done nothing else, but but brought uh, it from your the, the observance, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, brought it from your pre-conscious to your conscious, then I'm happy and I fulfilled my purposes. And maybe if, if this strikes a chord with you, you should talk to your elders or an elder or your pastor and say, why do we do it this way? Uh, we're missing something, or what if we did a communion service that was just communion, or, or, or. Uh, Listen, why not bring it up? I think that would be an excellent, excellent idea. Okay, there it is. Hey, thanks for your time, folks. God bless.